Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Inside Tri Show with Sports Tours International. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Inside Tri Show with Sports Tours International and Orion Connect. I'm Helen Murray and if you are a new listener to the show, well then thank you very much for tuning in. It is great to have you on board. I bring you a new episode each week with one simple aim really and that is to bring you some fantastic stories and hopefully some little nuggets that you haven't heard before or something that you might learn from or feel inspired by. So I do have a brilliant interview for you with Nikki Spinks coming up as well as a catch up with David McNamee from his flat in Girona. Before we do get an update from David who is on week three now of lockdown in Spain. Show sponsor Sports Tours International have got you covered when it comes to some indoor exercises you can try out. I'll put a link to the show notes over at helenmurray.net forward slash inside try show forward slash Nikki Spinks. They're also asking for your finish line throwbacks, so a picture from an event that you've either completed or been to previously. So if you want to get involved, just tag Sports Tours International on Instagram or Twitter and use the hashtag finish line throwback. Okay, let's hear then from triathlete David McNamee. Now, I should just say, if you are here for the Nikki Spinks interview, then hang on for about another 15 minutes or so, and then that will be coming your way. So David McNamee has finished on the podium twice at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. He's originally from Scotland, but is now based in Girona, where he lives with his girlfriend as well. So they are on lockdown in the apartment. He has a seven meter balcony. He's used to training and racing outside. He has a bit of a thing for croissants, but the bakery is now shut. So he has had to find an alternative. He did buy a treadmill so he can use that along with a static bike. 
But this is a guy who has swum since he was a kid and the restrictions in Spain at the moment are really, really strict. So effectively, he is shut in his apartment. So far, this is week number three. Yeah, I'm good. It's, yeah, week three. We've got at least another two weeks of the lockdown in Spain, which, as you know here, it's a lot stricter than in the UK. So we have the ban on exercise outdoors and stuff. But yeah, I think... Overall, I'm coping well. There's some days where, obviously, I wouldn't say I go through a low point, but you just feel a little bit frustrated and a little bit lethargic. But, yeah, these moments pass. And how, how do you snap out of those bits? Uh, I think it's a mixture. I think it's remembering the reality of the situation that's going on and what's actually happening. And here in Spain, it's... It's very simple. You just need to put in the news and you see the number of people that have died in the last 24 hours. Mm. And then you realise, well, actually, there's a good reason behind it. And then, yeah, I sort of, once you just get a bit of perspective and stuff, then you sort of move past that. Uh, yeah. I saw you in your wetsuit this morning on the balcony. That... <laughs> How was Bored that? Them. Boredom, boredom. <laughs> no, it's sort of, yeah. Even though I'm training not too bad right now, I'm sort of still doing an okay amount of volume. And there's obviously sort of a lot of, when you're stuck in your flat 24 hours a day, then yeah, uh, all sort of things go through your head and why not? You know, basically, if you put your wetsuit on, but then you don't actually swim, it's a right faff to get off. Did you do that or then did you go and get in the shower or what did, what did you do? <laughs> No, no, I didn't go in the show after the... <laughs> I managed to get the wetsuit off and then I sort of got on the bike and got to work. Did you do a um, like a band workout then in your wetsuit or did you no, soon no. take that off? I'll do, I'll do a band workout this afternoon. I try and sort of keep some sort of routine where I sort of cycle in the morning and then do some band work in gym in the afternoon. Then I sort of go running in the... Well, I say go running in the evening. I, I go on the treadmill later on. You, and you said, did you attempt to do a a, re, a run on your seven metre balcony? I, I have tried that. I've did a few strides, and yeah, it just doesn't work. It's it's not wide enough to the turning circle, so you basically just have to come to a dead stop and turn around. So uh, you're not going to be repeating what was it? The French person who did a marathon on his balcony? Yeah, oh god, that must have taken all day. Yeah. It was quite nice to be honest to do a couple of strides actually running rather than just being on a treadmill. It's a very different feeling. Totally, totally. And is, 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 do you feel like you're almost getting into a, a different routine now with training? Is it? Are you getting your head around it a little bit more? Uh, I say I'm getting into a routine. It's tough. The biking is not too bad. This. Some things I miss being outdoors. It's mainly the running that sort of does your head in a little bit. Just the treadmill is not very exciting whatsoever. Mm. Uh, that's the difficulty and obviously just not swimming. But yeah, I suppose I've sort of adapted to it. And for sure, like once everything opens back up again, it'll be strange to sort of go back to the normal routine because it just feels like it's such a long way away still. Yeah, and like this is almost the new norm for a while, yeah. Very much so, and 
as I say, it's two weeks more at least, but I think it'll probably be longer. And I don't know when the swimming pools will open again here. I think it'll be a good couple of months at least until all of it's over with. And then ultimately, I don't know if there'll be a race season or not this year. So, yeah, it's very much sort of very different. Life is different right now. And what's the longest? Because you were a swimmer when you were younger, weren't you? So what's the longest that you've ever not been in the water for? I've been out in the water before for three or four weeks when I broke and dislocated my radius and ulna. Mm-hmm. And I had to get two metal plates put in. And that was the longest. And I think that was three weeks. And I know, like, ultimately, once the pool's open, I'll go back. And as long as you maintain a good level of fitness through, well, predominantly cycling right now, then the swimming will come back relatively quickly. It's very much just about sort of keeping some sort of fitness there. Because, yeah, if you give up and let everything just go to crap then it's a long long road to sort of getting back to where you were yep and what does your band workout look like uh very much dave scott mr ironman himself did an incredibly good video a couple yes, of weeks ago i saw that so i basically just follow that that is my band routine okay yeah that i i saw that video as well and jerry rodriguez from um tower 26 did one as well so, yeah, that is basically it's sort of, yeah, that's sort of the key band exercises. So I try and do that, say, 20, 30 minutes a day, more or less every day yeah. on the balcony, just just to get, just to keep the feeling there of what a swim stroke feels like and to get some sort of muscle strength. And you, like, do you find that, um, do, you, it, do you find it quite boring? Yeah. Uh, are you listening to music or a bad, podcast actually. or something when you're doing it? I, I'll listen to music. Yep. Uh, obviously, I listen to your podcast all the time. Oh, clearly. Uh, but no, I'll listen to some music. So I don't find that that bad. And it's nice to go swimming and not have to sort of get wet. It's always good. It's unique. Uh, but no, it's, yeah, I, I think the hardest thing is sort of the running, to be honest. And it's not even the. The training that's the hardest is just not being able to just go outside and walk around. Yeah. Uh, like, you have to realise here, like, even if I walk to the supermarket two or three hundred metres away, especially now, there's a good chance that I'll get stopped by the police to ask sort of where I live, which supermarket I'm going to, is there not a closer one? So it's very much... Yeah, I suppose it's it, is that... Anytime I do leave the house, just still worried yeah. about being outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I miss most is just just being outdoors and not worrying, to be honest. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just a completely, completely unknown feeling that any of us would have ever experienced before. Yeah, and I think... It's very much very alien. I think it shows how many things we take for granted. Uh, yeah, this is it. Is that we have a very sort of privileged life these days. And we can basically do what we want when we want it. 
and it takes a while to sort of adapt to having restrictions put on you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a Catalan test for you this week, David. Um, <laughs> you'd be pleased to know. But I was wondering about um, Magnums, because clearly that is a new croissant. So, come on, what's the best flavour Magnum? Uh, to be honest, for some reason, I've always been a fan of white chocolate croissants. croissants white chocolate Magnums. Okay. I like white chocolate croissants, too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never actually pick white chocolate to eat. I'd always go dark chocolate, but for some reason, when it's a Magnum... I. Yeah, it's the white chocolate that does it for me. So you have a stash of them in the freezer? Well, not anymore. I ate them all yesterday, uh, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> we sort of skipped lunch and just ate magnums. It's like the moments, the, the small moments of joy. Indeed. Sunday's always sort of recovery afternoon, relaxation. So yeah, very much sort of relax and switch off. And we were we were having lunch just before just before you and I are doing this chat, and uh, we actually, well, it's a bit of a grey day here in the UK, and you know the sun's gone again. It was all happy last week, but no, the sun's gone in now, and um, we went for cheese toasties, right? Because that's surely quite a feel good thing on a on a miserable Monday. Um, what would be your cheese toasty equivalent to just you know comfort sort of happiness? Comfort, happiness, food. I do like a good pizza. Uh, but yeah, again, sort of here you can you know you only buy stuff from supermarkets and stuff. Mm. Anything to do with like pasta and pesto. So if you can get some pasta pesto and like some nice salmon, that's always a winner. Or like pasta pesto with chicken or something like that. That'd be that'd be the go-to. Yeah, that'd be the, sort of the go-to. And has anything um, anything surprised you in the past seven days? Ooh. David, we have a bit of radio. Hello. Hello. Oh, 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 I'm back. I'm back. Oh, good. What was that? I'm back. I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe because everybody just lives inside the flat now in Spain, sometimes the Wi-Fi gets a little bit dodgy these days. Oh, that sounded like um, radio, Catalan radio or something. Oh, okay. Oh, God, I don't know why I'm cutting then. No. <laughs> Who knows, maybe it was like an emergency radio announcement or something. I think it might have been. Oh, God, maybe. <laughs> you never know. Oh, don't. Oh, don't. Um, so, yeah, what, is there anything that has, like, surprised you in um, Costa del Balcony this week? I think my biggest surprise is sort of the realisation that it's not the training outdoors that I miss the most. It's just sort of having the freedom to go out when I want and to go where I want. Mm. I think I'd have told you before this experience that I'd be like training outdoors that I definitely missed the most, and I do, but just the sort of the right to sort of go out and do what I want that I miss. And is there has there been any photos from your fellow professional athletes on Instagram that have really peed you off? No, I think so. Sort of. I find it interesting in that... I think sort of because different parts of the world are at different stages of this. Mm. And I think sort of Spain and Italy are very much at the worst moment. What we determine isolation is very different from, say, what a British person would say is isolation and being responsible. Or what like an American person would say is sort of isolation and being responsible. And I suppose it's not angered me. It's just sort of 
I realise that sort of people still don't sort of fully understand how bad things can get if this virus really takes hold of your country. And this is it. Yeah, I suppose that sort of... And it's not something that's made me upset and angry towards any athletes. It's just sort of... No, like, you still don't fully understand what this is about yet. Yeah. And on a positive note, has anyone put up a photo that's just actually made you really laugh? Uh, I don't know. I, I saw Patrick Lang put up like an Instagram video of his gym workout with a crate of beer. That was quite funny. But no, I think sort of the nice thing is like, I think a lot of, especially in Spain and in Dover, that both have this complete ban in exercise how well it's actually been received from the professional athletes with regards to sort of staying indoors, especially in the cycling world. And that, yeah, I've not sort of seen any sort of professional cyclists or professional triathletes based in Spain or Andorra that have actually criticised not being able to go outside to exercise, which is nice. It sort of gives you that feeling that actually we're all sort of in this together in the sporting world within sort of Spain and Andorra. Do you know many others like you who are in a flat rather than in a, you know, in a, in a house with a garden, for example? Yeah, like I see in Joan, and there's probably fifty or sixty professional cyclists right now that are indoors in a flat, just training away. Same in Andorra, there's probably another fifty or sixty professional cyclists that are indoors, just training away. Uh, I'm not the only one. Mario Mola is in Mallorca right now and he doesn't even have a treadmill right now to train on, so he's just cycling. But he's not complaining about it. He's not going out and criticising the government and stuff and he's very much respecting what's been asked of him and sort of being a role model. And I think that's sort of the good thing is that I'd say a lot of the athletes that are based in these countries have really sort of shown that there are good role models, if you know what I mean, like... They've been asked to do something. They've not sort of spat the dummy and said, no, no, it's my job. I need to go outside. But ultimately, the majority of the country has been asked not to do their job right now to try and save lives. And so, you know, it's good that sort of, I'd say the professional athletes here have been responsible and trying to lead by example. Honestly, David, what you are, yeah, you're doing good. Seriously, you are doing good. And I think we can all take a leaf out of your book as and when things get stricter here as well for sure yeah hopefully things don't need to get stricter in the uk but yeah the chances are they will have to sort of if it's anything like here then yeah it's just very much about adapting to it and realizing at the end it's a very short-term thing you've been asked to do just hearing david talks makes you feel so lucky at the moment in the uk where we are still able to get out for a run or a bike ride, for example, from the doorstep. And I've just got back actually from an evening run and where we are, it's pretty rural and you're more likely to see a sheep than you are a human being. But I really did feel so fortunate to be able to get outside. And you could hear just from David that that is the key thing that he's missing not being able to just go and walk outside we talked about the band workouts for swimming so i've put a link to both of the ones so the david scott one i think i just called him david scott didn't i 
Dave. Dave the man. I've put a link to the Dave Scott one and Jerry Rodriguez as well in the show notes so you can go and check that out. I bought some bands and I've had a go and it's really hard work but talking about hard work, skipping rope, I also bought a skipping rope. I'm up to about 30 seconds at a time. It's absolutely pathetic. So it's another challenge, so that's all good. So recently I have put out a special Patreon episode for training buddies and it features Laura Siddle and training advice from Taylor Spivey and Matt Troutman. So if you are keen for an extra episode, then you just need to sign up to be a training buddy at patreon.com forward slash inside try show. If that isn't for you, I understand at the moment, but if you feel like you could buy me a coffee or a glass of vino every month, then I'd be so grateful. And it just helps me to be able to bring you a show every single week. Time for this week's interview. This week's interview is brought to you by sponsors Orion Connect, connecting you to trusted healthcare practitioners affordably and efficiently. They're offering an increased number of remote consultations at the moment. So if you are needing a physio or an osteo or advice from a specialist sports consultant, for example, then just get in touch with Orion Connect for more information. Booking through Orion is the most affordable and efficient way to see a private practitioner. Now, it was such an honour to interview British fell runner Nikki Spinks for this episode. Nikki is a 53-year-old wife. She's a British farmer. She loves a good curry. Sounds pretty normal, doesn't it? So let's try that sentence again. Nikki is a 53-year-old record-breaking British ultra-distance runner who is the overall record holder for the double Bob Graham round. She became the first person ever to complete doubles of the Paddy Buckley and Charlie Ramsey round two, and that was after being diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 39. Oh yeah, and she still hopes to become the first woman ever to finish the Barclay marathons. In short, she's pretty flipping amazing and it was such a treat to talk to her and if you're not really sure what I'm on about when it comes to the Bob Graham round or the Charlie Ramsey round or the Paddy Buckley round well here's an idea so in 2016 she as I say yeah became the first person to run a double Bob Graham round so that is 132 miles of running 54,000 feet of ascent and you're going up twice, 42 peaks in the Lake District, which is a beautiful part of England. And she did all of that in 45 hours and 30 minutes. It's just insane. It's it's so impressive. And then the double Ramsey round, so that one's 116 miles, 57,000 feet of ascent, and twice summiting 24 mountains. So that double Ramsey round took her 55 hours and 56 minutes. Wowzers. So here is the interview with Nikki Spinks. Nikki Spinks, how are you? Oh, good. Yeah, very good. Healthy in these times. So that's the main thing. 
sane as well live on a farm so I'm really lucky in that I could be outside whenever I would like to be. How has the past fortnight been for you? Oh I think a bit of a roller coaster but I think it has been for everybody because obviously right now I should have been doing the Barclay so two weeks ago I think we were uh, not knowing whether I was able to fly there I mean, stuff's just moved so quickly. So, yeah, two weeks ago, I think I was still going. Um, and then it, then the US on a Sunday said no flights from the UK. Um, and then so I wasn't going. But the Barclay tried to carry on uh, happening. But then, you know, it soon became obvious that hardly anyone's going to get there. And if they did get there, they shouldn't be there. And, yeah, so uh, he cancelled the Barclay. And then I think I, I put in, I thought, oh, I'll go and do a challenge uh, up in Galloway. I've always, you know, had this on the, and so I all planned that. And I, I was actually up there on Monday night, last Monday, when he announced that, you know, the lockdown. And I just, at 10 o'clock at night, well, I was just like, right, I've just got to drive home. That's it, really, because, you know, you're not supposed to be in your second home. You're not supposed to be away from home. I'm leaving Steve here to work, and but then I, then it really hit me just because I had nothing to look forward to, you know. That I think that was it. I could mm. I replaced the Barclay with Galloway, and now Galloway was gone. It was like everything's gone uh, for the foreseeable future. But um, I've just come to yeah terms with it. Really, I'm actually sort of I'm running every day, which is something I never do. But I'm always thinking, well, tomorrow we could go even further. You know, this treat this treat every run like it might be your last long run. Um, so yeah, even though you, I don't, yeah, it's really strange running every day. I never do that. But so um, you've never yeah. you've never done a running streak like that. No, <laughs> I always I think with the farm and just my life, I'm too busy. I, I save it up, so I I tend to sort of drive for two hours on a weekend and get to Wales or the lakes and then spend the like a whole day, 10 hours or 12 hours on the hill, maybe even two days. And then obviously the, the following week, I don't need to run, you know, that week much at all. So that's more, I, I tend to do my training in huge blocks rather than a bit every day. So, yeah, it's a strange one, but I'm hoping I'm going to get faster at shorter stuff. But at the moment, it's just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How? What impact has it had so far on you running every day? If you don't normally do it, uh, initially I was actually quite tired, um, and, and I, I sort of thought about what's the point of this. And in fact, on Saturday or Friday night, yeah, I was thinking, what's the point of just running out on your own, not really with any structure? So I've redone myself a plan, but I also got together with a friend, and I just said. Let's both set off at nine o'clock and find a route, a four-mile route, and race it like we're racing each other. Um, and that's what we did, and it was actually really good fun. It was a bit sort of bonkers, but, um, you know, we, we did it, and that was a good start to the day. So I'm going to continue doing that now. We're trying to work out how we can have a series and prizes and stuff, just because it, yeah, it, it gives you a point to it. <laughs> Mm. it's like a different goal isn't it so is your friend yeah. is she nearby or is she in your running club or yeah. she's on a completely different route to you then yeah 
yeah, we just tried to find a similar route, like four miles, a thousand feet of climb. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, we were sort of in the, we've just about found a route that's similar. Uh, but then we've got another friend who's joined in and he says he can actually do some spreadsheet somethings to basically equal it out so that we are basically running. I mean, obviously the terrain would be different and everything, but it's, um, and then we're going to throw in some like bonuses. Um, so I was working out how to do a series of it. It's going to be three times a week, twice on the race route, but I was thinking, well, Sometimes maybe you have to go out wearing wellies or maybe <laughs> you have to run backwards. Or, do you know what I mean? Just to throw in. Um, and then I, I was also thinking we could have a score event so that you have to run to as many churches in your area as possible within an hour and then back again to home. Things like that. And I was trying to also, I've been on a long run this morning and all the, the whole of the long run, I was thinking, yeah, for juniors, we could have, because they're putting those rainbows out, you know, like how many rainbows could you find and how many lambs or dogs or like things like that. So that because quite a lot of the people that uh, did it on Facebook with me have got children. So that would be nice as well. Yeah, because obviously my running club's got a junior section as well and they're all missing out now as well. Um, I love this. This is the creative, competitive, everything coming together. It's fantastic. So just to put a spanner in the works, right, how would you keep sane if you can't run at all? So let's say they put more restrictions in place. What's Nikki Spinks like if Nikki Spinks can't run? Oh, I'm not great injured, and I think it's a bit like that, but I've done myself a plyometrics plan as well, and I'm ramping up those exercises. Um, and then I, I'm, I, I think having had the cancer, I, I, I found then because obviously I couldn't going from running one minute to not running the next is sort of harder than this. There's no warning with that. There's at least a warning. We're, we're like we're thinking about this in in advance now. We're thinking we might not be able to run, and what can we do? And I'm not buying a running machine, <laughs> so I've got the those exercises and then obviously I'm on the farm which I think for me is easier because I think I'll just go I'll do a lot of dry stone walling or something something that's outside but not running I mean I could run round and round the fields but also I almost think that's a bit on not unfair but yeah it's maybe not what I would do anyway it's a bit sort of pointless um so is it is it a mixture of the being outdoors and the feel-good factor of running, would you say, that is, yeah, makes you kind of who you are, but makes you happy as well? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's being outside. I mean, I don't have to be outside all the time, but um, I know when I, I left home at sort of 17, I got an office job and for five years I was working nine to five, Monday to Friday. And, I was actually, I thought I was going insane. And sometimes when I see collie dogs and they've been shut in kitchens, that's what I felt like. I could chew doorknobs and chew tables and, and wreck the place. I just need to get out and lose a bit of energy outside. <laughs> I was, I, I thought that was quite interesting, actually, because you grew up on a farm, didn't you? So 
basically why why did you then go and work in an office I think well the farm was only a small farm and it wasn't going to hold yeah there wasn't enough work for everybody sort of to do it wasn't going anywhere so yeah we all sort of left and actually um found other jobs and I think at that time as well I mean my husband's got two daughters and he never really encouraged them into farming because well it's a hard life for not a lot of money um and although at the moment in this situation farmers are touch wood at the moment's affected but not too affected but I mean there has been other things like BSE and foot and mouth that's really affected us so I think every sort of 10 years, something just comes along and wallops us. <laughs> it seems to think, you know, you just feel feel like you're getting, you're finding your feet and things are going well. And, that, oh, and then the, there's always the weather. You know, the summer before last was just hot and dry, no grass. Last year was just wet. Yeah, this winter's been very wet. And now we've had at least, we've had about 10 days of dry weather. So, yeah. So was it then that, you almost encouraged to go and get a, a more secure job then than farming. So yeah. then what made you go back then from the office and then back into farming? I just, I couldn't cope with that Monday to Friday thing anymore. Looking out when the weather was nice and then at the weekend it was always rubbish when I could get out. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's not like that. But maybe I'm probably it's a lot of Boris people who probably yeah. And I was applying to agricultural colleges at the time, and I actually started skydiving. And I met Steve skydiving down at Doncaster. Can I come and milk your cows? That was my chat up line. <laughs> but so there, if if you were skydiving, that was clearly this need for just like yeah. I cannot be in this office. No, I need to get out and let let loose a bit, scare myself silly a little bit every now and again. Did you did you love the skydiving? Yeah, yeah. I'd um, I'd qualified, and Steve was sort of on his way to qualifying. So I used to go every weekend. Um, I love that. And when was the last time you did a skydive? Oh, uh, a while ago, because it's doesn't really fit with farming because it's weather dependent so a lot of it it, it's great when you've got lots of time because you tend to go to the drop zone and if the weather's not good you can hang around when you've got lots of time it doesn't matter but when you're farming you just think actually we should be doing this or should be doing that so I think the last time was uh, at least 10 years ago yeah we've still got the parachutes but they're probably archaic now So did you regularly keep up your skydiving when you were in the office job? Yeah, I started it in the office job um, when I was about 21, I think, 22. And then when I met Steve, I was was 24. So, yeah, I was going... I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. And then you only got into running when you were in the office job. Is that right? As something to mm. kind of keep you keep you fit, basically. Um, I piled the weight on. So as soon as I left the farm and went into the office, I put on about a stone. Um, and I just, I think because I knew how fit I was in, or not, yeah, I didn't like putting the weight on and there was no way to sort of stop it. Um, I'll 
yeah, eat less, but it's hard. So, yeah, I started running. And initially I was just running three times a week. Like I see a lot of, you know, women just running up and down the road. Um, yeah, and that's what I was doing. I tried a 10K and absolutely hated it because there was a, there was people that could walk faster than I could run. I was so upset. I finished, I was in such a bad mood. I snapped at my boyfriend and didn't do another race for like 10 years. Honestly. There's nothing so worse than crying your guts out and somebody walks past you. So what made you carry on? Well, I came back into it. Um, I think when I, 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 obviously I didn't do any more races because I, but I, I kept running. My granddad, I, I went to live with my granddad for a bit when I was about 22, 23. And he was into amateur athletics, but like cross-country running, track running. Um, he, he encouraged me a lot, showed me some routes around where he lived, some nice off-road routes. And I, I did a bit of swimming then as well. There was an open-air swimming pool down there. So, um, and cycling. Yeah, I used to cycle to the, just to keep fit, really. Again, it was just, it was keeping fit. But, you know, the more you do, the more you like to do. But yeah, without going into any more races. And then what was the next step then after you kept up the the running, Um, you had the encouragement from your granddad. Yeah. And then how did it evolve from there? Well, I, when I met Steve, we, we, we were farming, so I didn't have the time then. or like the inclination really to, to run. I didn't need to run. I was outside all the time, working all the time, too exhausted to run. Um, and then as time went on and we sorted the farm out, a friend of ours was doing tri- uh, yeah, triathlons, I think, and she was running. And I just thought, oh, that'd be nice to go out with her and start running again. So that's how that's what got me back into it about 2000 and 2001. Um, and then she in your mid to late 30s yeah yeah and she encouraged me to we did this race together and she ran next to me um and that because she paced me that felt a lot better (laughs) um a confidence booster (laughs) yeah so from there I went from like a 5k to a, a 10k a half marathon which was a great north run and at that point, I was thinking, I don't really like this road running. Um, and I'd met friends, I'd met people doing um, a little fell race. And so once I'd started running off-road, I just thought, no, this is where I need to be. I'm a farmer, of course. It's, um, yeah, it's logical, really. So then I sort of dropped the road running and went on to the fells, joined a club. And once you join a club, then it really opens up your horizons because people are just doing different things. Um, and that's where you hear the whispers of different events and long yeah. events and you go home and you think what were they on about just going to google that one yeah oh yeah like the bob graham that's how i heard out about the bob graham because a, a guy andy Plummer in the peniston footpath runners was doing the bob graham and yeah that just sounded like the biggest thing in the world <laughs> so and did, did you? I mean, did you just go home and would you have had a little Google? Um, I don't think I was Googling back then so much, but I think I just learned about it from them. Um, and I was working my way up. I found when I got to doing 20-mile fell races that I actually 
I did better at 20 mile fell races than I did at like four miles because I seemed to only have one pace and I could look after myself and not set off too fast and concentrate on all, all the aspects of running rather than just running tr- fast. So, yeah, mm. I think it was just a development really that I was going to get longer. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Mm. It's, it's incredible, then, what you have gone on to achieve. Have you surprised yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never... The little ideas pop into your head and then you sort of shove them away thinking that they're ridiculous and then they keep niggling away at you. (laughs) Like the double Bob Graham was in my head for quite a few years before I even sort of took it on myself. And then I was so scared, I never told anybody that I was doing it, even my family or anything, because I don't know. When you have, you're convincing yourself you think you can do it, but you don't know you can do it. So how are you going to convince, you don't want people to say, oh, do you think you can do that? Because actually your answer is going to be, I don't know. <laughs> but I think that, that showed me that actually you can do a lot more than what you maybe you think you can. And it's certainly worth having a go. Um, and if you struggled to convince yourself for a number of years how did you build up that confidence to then believe that you could do it I don't know I think that's stubbornness because the 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 week the winter before the double Bob Graham it was just one of those horrible wet windy winters every time I went to the lakes I just got blown all over the place training was horrendous I just um I really ha- didn't have the confidence when I ended up, you know, uh, the, the night before I was doing it, I was drove to the Lake District. Everybody was planned. Everybody was there. They almost, they bo- not boxed me in on purpose, but my little van was put in the corner of the campsite and I had a proper panic attack where I just wanted to do a runner and come home and hide from everybody because I just thought I was just going to make a fool of myself and waste everybody's time. Uh, it took me a while, you know, to me, well, I'm not, maybe 10 minutes I just I, I sort of I'm like you can't go you, you can't leave because you're boxed in anyway you know just talking myself through the logics of the fact I, I can't drive home I've here everybody's here I might as well just set off and see what happens and then I just thought well if you do get round, you'll be able to write a, a writer an article on how to get around a double Bob Graham on zero training <laughs> and that that just made me laugh 
just thought, well, you never know. You just never know what you can do till you try it. And when you did have that panic attack, yeah. was, were you breathing faster? Like, yeah. did you feel your, your heart? Yeah. Were you in tears as well? Yeah, I was like, I was supposed to be trying to go to sleep and instead I was having this panic attack, like maybe eight hours before I was due to start. Um, and I've never had one before or, or since or, yeah. So. And the people that were there with you, did you tell any of them that you had had your panic attack? I think I've told people afterwards, but not during that, no. Um, that's, so then that's amazing that it was actually that your stubbornness and your mental strength that you could talk yourself around to say, no, actually, just start. Because once you started, you never know what will happen. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And Nikki, how do you form your support team? Uh, well, it's that's happened over many years. I did my BG, my first Bob Graham round in 2005. So since then, I've done, I think I've done 14 rounds, 24-hour rounds and double rounds included. So I, over that time, you, you know, people come along and support you and I support people back. And, um, and some people obviously get injured or don't. Yeah, so you, you have a bit of a – so now I know the people that, are really good and that are really what I like um, because especially when I was doing the records I needed fast people but as I've gone on to doing the doubles I don't need people that can run really fast I need people that are really supportive and and actually can cope with me when I'm like I've been going for 24 hours and I don't really know what I want at all and I need people that are going to tell me you know what I want give it to me make me eat it or drink it or whatever so yeah I think it's just you evolved over time yeah I'm pretty good at listening until like I really get grumpy but I, I try not to take it out on my supporters <laughs> I get I mean they are as vital to the attempts yeah as you are aren't they yeah they are yeah it's always a team when I made the film about the double paddy, I really wanted everybody to see how much goes on behind the scenes. You know, I'm the one that everyone claps and stuff, but actually I couldn't do any of it without this great team of people behind me, all working, you know, all, all without sleep and all eating, you know, not eating and things like that, all because they want to help me get round. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But then I know I've been, a, I've been a supporter and, you know, you'll go to extraordinary lengths to get somebody round. And all the time that I've been on the hill, I'm like, you know, have they eaten? When did they last eat? Are, you know, are they stumbling? Do they look comfy? You know, watching the, watching the gate to see if, because often um, if you've been going a long time, you'll develop a, a sort of look. A weird you know if something's hurting you tend a person will compensate and they won't know that they're doing it but it'll go on and on and then over time that'll that could be the reason that they don't get round so um so yeah just sort of keeping an eye on everything that's going on with them and also encouraging them and and do they have, do your supporters have different roles? So one might be there with the map, one's there with like food and hydration, 
one might be having another role like checking out the you know leading with the root sort of thing yeah I tend to put pair people up not really give them the job but I know that one person's quite happy to have a map in their hand and they'll navigate and that person generally isn't the person that's great at sit well checking whether you've had a drink or not in the last 30 minutes because they usually are off up front which is where they need to be to be helping navigate um and i tend to put like enthusiastic fast people at the beginning and then quiet people because i i get quiet as i go through and have bad patches i get i put the quieter people at towards the end and it's really nice and then they're have more women you know i've got I can often find women because when I first started doing the rounds, it was always, always men, which is great. But it is so nice now that I've got, you know, a lot of women friends and they'll come along because often you can just be walking along with a woman and somehow you read each other a lot better than than a man would read you. In what sort of situations might a female, might you prefer a female in your support crew to a male? Well, obviously, if you're trying to get changed or anything like that, that helps. It's like an example is that Helen Elmore, she doesn't get freaked out by anything. So I know I was sick on one of the rounds and straight away she just looked at me and she went, she reached for her water bottle. She didn't say, oh, Nikki, you've been sick and make a big panic out of it. She just reached for a water bottle and handed it me. And then halfway up the hill, she said, would you like a gel? And she just seemed to know to you know how long to give me in between each question because she knows I'm recovering I'm thinking about what's just happened I'm disappointed because I've been sick and yeah and also I think I knew I could just say to her I've broken my watch at the same time so I wasn't sure on the schedule where I was and I I just needed to know whether okay I can just plod in or is there a chance I can you know break the record and I just said to her you know what what's happening with the times and she just told me straight away whereas I think some of the men were like oh they didn't want to tell me they didn't know how I'd respond um yeah who would your dream support crew be like dreams they could be international it could be because clearly you've got a very very good one if you could pull in other people who might also be racing as well or almost maybe you be support for them what would your dream team be oh, I, I think no I think the one the people that support me actually because it's surprising what you can you can imagine that somebody might be really good support but then they're they're, they're just sort of not and I think also you you need people that know you because it's it's hard supporting somebody you don't know because you don't know really what to say to them you don't know whether they like nagging or not nagging or so I think I'd go with the crew that I've I've got really. Okay I'll rephrase my question slightly if you can team up with anyone to go and do another epic challenge or round or or something like that who would you team up with if you could? Well I think at the moment I've got I'm getting together with some women and and it's Helen Elmore and then there's Kirsty Hewitson um there's a girl up in Scotland called Kerry um and I yeah I think that would be it would be a actually a ladies team would be great 
So I used to, the High Peak Marathon I always used to do as a, a mixed team. And I shied away from doing it with a, with women because I didn't think that, I, th- I thought everybody would be a bit too sort of snappy. and But actually then I was asked to be in a women's team and it, it's actually worked really well. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool. I like that. Let's go back to Barclay, where you, where you should have been at the moment um, in America. What was the first experience like last year? I think I felt a, a, like a fish out of water, I was going to say, because I just, there were all these really like superstars there that you've sort of seen on telly, like American blokes with long hair. And, <laughs> but they're also um, fast and you just think that you shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? I, I worked my way there. I got there, but you're just like, whoa, what am I doing here? But I was so actually glad to start and get going and sort of start because that's when, you know, you're learning all the time as you're starting, you're going around and what, yeah, what you haven't taken with you, you haven't taken. So, yeah, it was really surreal. And meeting Laz for the first time, I mean, through email, he's he's really, well, not really normal, but <laughs> he does talk in riddles a lot. But, um, yeah, he's... He's really chatty through email. And then when you meet him, he, I just got tongue-tied. I never knew really what to say to him or anything. I just wanted to go back. I, I really felt really fit. I'd done all my training this year. I'd put so much ascent in it. I'd been studying that map. I, I could reel off everything in my head. Um, yeah. Whether to, whether you can you know pull all that out again next year, who knows, but I can try. Um, you can yeah you can and would your tactics have been really very different going into it this year compared to last year in 2019 well as a as a veteran I actually you you know a lot of the route he'll change the route every year but you don't like last year I didn't know any of it so I was copying the whole thing out on my map um it was all very mind-boggling, trying to remember everything. Whereas this year, I would have known, you know, he would have maybe changed sort of 10% of it or maybe 20 But, yeah, a lot of it is sort of similar. And so that would have made a big difference. I would have liked to have teamed up with somebody again. But, I mean, I was going to do that last year, I was hopefully. Um, and I think also this year I would have, there were small things like using a thumb compass that I hadn't used last okay. year. Um, and how does that, what's that like compared to a traditional compass? That. So it goes on your thumb. So you don't have as much sort of like to hold. It's not round your neck. So it's there. Um, yeah, there. And what I didn't like, orienteers use them all the time. And they don't have, they can't take a bearing on the ones that your orienteers use. And so that, I'm not an orienteer, so I wasn't that good with that, those. But when I saw these, um, so I've been practicing with those all winter. Um, and I think that would have helped because I just had so much in my hands last year, what with the poles and then your, your rucksack and then the map and trying to get food out and having a compass as well. And um, yeah, it's just too much stuff in your hands and you need to keep your eye on where you are all of the time. 
and I, I noticed that Stephanie had one of these, Stephanie Case, and um, yeah, I think so. That was one of the things I was sort of going to use and change. And yeah, another Stephanie thing, Case, like, you did a yeah, loop with last year, didn't you? Yeah. Well, all of it really, from about book book one, book two, we sort of right through one loop and then into the next loop and all of that loop. So yeah. Uh, and when you went, because there were three of you, weren't there, that were um, running together and and working with each other. And when you did come back down into camp, knowing that, you know, that was it, that was your Barclay Marathons done, was there just a, an over an overarching feeling of disappointment? Yeah. And and so we were all cross with ourselves because we should have just taken more time in the changeover to to figure out that the weather was going to be well worse. But nobody knew it was going to be as bad as what it is. But to to take more stuff, we were all so concerned with getting in and getting out in ten minutes that we and we never really talked about what we were taking like we never had a sort of team chat or anything oh are you taking your waterproof oh no I'm but all three of us just went off on that last on the next loop with not enough stuff um and I think so we were all we were all glad to finish because we're absolutely frozen I couldn't feel my hands um I hadn't eaten anything for about three four hours because I couldn't get anything out to eat so I think I was, I was, I was shivering because I wasn't eating. My hands were frozen. I just wanted to get warm. Um, so yeah, your brain, because you've you've gone into that sort of like self-preservation mode where your brain's just screaming at you to get warm. Um, so I was glad to finish, and I, I and I think that was yeah, glad to f- stop stop being so cold and hopefully get warm. But then as soon as I was warm. Yeah, I was just, but I mean, all the time we were just cursing that we hadn't taken more stuff. We'd have had to have taken a lot more stuff. And we probably wouldn't have taken, even in hindsight, you know, it was hard to know how wrapped up you would have to get. Is it that temperature change from being too hot during the day at like 25 degrees to like dropping to zero degrees when you're tired, sweaty? Yeah, you know, it's just that I've had to have set off in almost full Scottish winter mountaineering kit to actually be totally warm on that next loop. But I'm sure I, if I'd taken even half the stuff I should have taken, I would have been bearably cold. Um. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Oof. And did you know, though, straight away, I want to go back and I want to try that again. I want to crack it. Well, it's... It's funny because as we we decided we were going to drop out, we got our, Stephanie said, well, we might as well get the next page because we were near a book. So we got that. And as as soon as we were walking down, I was chuntering away saying, what a stupid race and I'm never coming back. And and she just said, wait till next week (laughs) and you'll change your mind. And it didn't even take till then. It was the next day. I was just like, I was so stupid and I should have just taken some more clothes. Um, yeah, so I thought, right, I want to come back. So, yeah. So you must have been like 
itching and so excited to go out there the other yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, in your head, did you, did you have the target of, I want, I want to be the first female to complete it in 2020 or again, were you thinking actually if I get to do finish complete three loops, get a fun run and then I will be able to go back another year and be the first female to, to finish. Uh, I think you've got to go with finishing five loops because you've got to go out on each loop eating and looking after yourself for the next loop. Um, and you never quite know where the Laz is going to let you back in again. You know, he's got, there's only 40 people ever getting it. So the chances are of you getting in again is slim. Um because he's yeah he he's, he needs a turnover and so no you've got to go with that right I'm going to give it my best shot this time roll on 2021 I'm roll on 2021 yeah, yeah. for something like uh, barking marathons Nikki it's abroad and am I right in thinking that your favourite post race food is fish and chips with curry sauce so knowing that you probably can't get that in Tennessee what did you imagine would be your post-race treat um I bought some expedition foods like chicken curry or vegetable curry with rice in a in a bag thing and I was going to take those out there because I mean, when we were out there last year, American food's not that spicy. I'm sure I could find a Mexican or something, but generally it's not as spicy as what I like. I also, I mean, fish, chips and curry sauce or a proper uh, chicken madras is what I like. I do like the spicy food. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it would be. But they do have some cracking good beef burgers out there. I mean... You have to prepare for these things. And yeah. what happened after the challenge whereby you had locked yourself out of your van? So that was the double Bob Graham. And um, so it was about midnight when we got back to the campsite. And I went, I'd, I'd sorted out my stuff uh, for the shower. I was still dressed in running stuff, short, sorted out my stuff for the shower. And, and then just slid the van door shut and, you know, you hear that, and you're like, you're joking. And you just try the doors. Nope. Locked. <laughs> Keys inside. I went and knocked on Charmaine's van. I was just like, Charmaine, I've just locked myself out of the van. <laughs> so then, of course, my phone was in the van um, with the, yeah, I'm in, I'm in um, Britannia Rescue, so my phone's in the van. So we ended up ringing my husband at midnight, getting him to get the number. I think Charmaine rang. I went for my shower and Charmaine rang and pretended to be me <laughs> and got the, got the man out. And he came out by the time I'd got back from the shower. But then it hit me. As soon as I came back from the shower, there were these people around my van. And the man was there and I was like, oh, do you need anything? And he looked at me as if to say, "What? who's this weird woman? Because <laughs> I was completely spaced. I just, you know, it just hits you when you've done a round, the sleep just hits you and I needed to sleep. And I was like, if you're okay, Charmaine, I'll just go and sleep in your van. So I went to her van and I slept while he pumped open the side of my van 
as it happened, I slept away. And then Charmaine came and got me. She said, um, he needs you to sign something. I went out and the poor little man was so bemused because now there were two Nicky Spinkses, the one that had rung him up to get him out and the one that was signing the document. Who was zombified anyway? Because let's put this into perspective. This is after, what, 45 hours of running? Yeah, 45 hours of running, yeah. He just thought the whole campsite was insane, I think. I did send the garage a card afterwards and sort of explained but I know you know people don't get it really so I'm not sure whether I made the situation better or worse but I did thank them so much for coming out and helping me get my keys out of the van <clears throat> so I could eventually oh. get to bed my proper bed at like 2am in the morning. Oh my god talking of sleep or lack of how, how do you prepare to sleep for maybe only 10 minutes across three days of tough physical activity i think i've just got my head around the fact that you don't i tell myself you don't need to sleep which obviously isn't true but it seems to work um i think through farming on we often go a couple of nights if we're busy carving with minimal sleep um uh, i have quite a bit of caffeine and coffee and stuff like that and I, I think over the years yeah you I've just got to the fact whereas I know I can get through one night without any sleep so on the double Bob Graham I'd never had a power nap before and I think I should have had one earlier than what I did but again if you don't if you're not totally knackered and really need a sleep you just lie there and get frustrated because you're not sleeping so there is a there's a fine line between going being zombified for three hours before you get some sleep and, and trying too early and just wasting time. Is that when your support could come into it and say, Absolutely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd got to Threkeld at, at probably about 2 a.m. and I felt shocking. I kept peeling over in this camper van, but I didn't want to go to sleep. Um, I didn't want to stop. So I set off on that leg and there was a guy called Adam Perry on that leg supporting me and he was a superstar because he just kept, he, he recognised the signs that I needed to sleep and he kept like telling me I needed a power nap and I should have a power nap and he was force feeding me jelly babies and he was being a little bit like, every time he sort of, he was navigating as well and then he'd come, he'd turn around and I'd be going, oh God, he's going to ask me if I've eaten something and I'd quickly eat something so I, I could say yes when he asked me. <laughs> but I mean, I think it works in the dark as well because you've got that head torch on, so you've got that head torch like you can't really look about. Um, it's always easier to be uh, it's always easier to be tired when it's light uh, than it is when it's dark so because obviously when it's dark your body's telling you it's dark you're supposed to be asleep <laughs> um, so yeah I got through that but only th through him really and then as soon as we got in I, I by the time we got into Keswick it was seven o'clock in the morning and I, that was the second night I'd gone without sleep so my body was just completely rebelling against this whole no sleep thing. Um, and yeah, I had, I just said to Charmaine, I'll have 10 minutes. And I, I went out like a light. She said within about 10 seconds, you were asleep. And I woke up and I felt Clearly completely in different, like I'd had 10 hours. And it was just 10 minutes. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just a brain refresher, really. I don't sort of think of it as a sleep to, you know, your body's not going to recover in that time. You're just basically giving your brain 10 minutes off, 10 minutes of rest. Um, How do you get back into real life mm. or normal life after some of these challenges how how difficult is that well yeah somebody there was I was doing a talk the other week and somebody said oh um do you ever get the black dog and I said oh I've, I've got a black dog do you mean wisp and he's like no and he meant he meant that sort of that phase that people seem to get after they've done a big challenge where they've got a big void in their their life I, I think that I put so much into these challenges that I actually need mental rest afterwards as well as physical rest. I'm actually quite glad of the fact that I don't have to think about training or schedules or organising people or food or packing or anything. It's actually quite nice not to have to do that. And I, I and I, I then I seem to know that I, I, I go for a period of it can be three weeks or three months where if I see somebody else doing a challenge, I actually think I'm glad it's not me. And when I start to think I wish it was me, then I know I'm ready to look at the next challenge when I'm envious of the fact that they're setting off instead of thinking, God, I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm so glad it's not me. <laughs> I was going to say, when you are thinking, I'm glad it's not me, mm. what do you do? Do you then throw more time into the into the farm and and other activities so how do you keep busy I guess um, when you're thinking yeah. oh, I'm glad it's not me yeah I mean that, that usually I'm supporting that person so I try to give time back to support people and even if I'm not physically able because I'm still too tired I'll st you could still go along and you can still give like moral support or do road support um and yeah actually I Nearly every round I've done, I, I tend to just go back into racing. Like within two or three weeks, I'll, I'll go and do a race because I like racing. I like being there with lots of people. I can get my head around the fact that, okay, I'm tired. I could set off on this race and my legs will actually rebel for four hours and it won't be that pleasant. But it's just sort of what I, what I do and how I recover rather than going, oh, I'm not going to run for six weeks or whatever. I never do that. I'm always usually running within a week or so, even if it just feels shocking. Um, I just monitor it. And and sometimes, usually I'll go for maybe two weeks and feel not bad and then it'll hit me. And I'll have a really bad race where I just think. I always just take loads more food on all the races so that if, I, if it's going to hit me that day, I'm just shoveling down the sugar <laughs> to get a bit of energy in, which often works. Yeah, sugar, sugar, and energy. If you're feeling kind of knackered, basically, then first of all, you're thinking, right, what have I eaten? Right, more sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What impact did your cancer diagnosis have have on you? You touched on it a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, oh, well, it was a complete shock because I was 39 and didn't expect it. It was one of those things that happened to other people older people I didn't really have any friends family really that had had it apart well granddads and stuff but um 
Yeah, so I mean, I was I wasn't told when I was on my own. I went down. So Steve found a lump in my breast, and I went down to the one-stop clinic thing where you have a an examination and then a basic scan and then a biopsy. If they, you know, you go through the stages. And at the end of the day, there was just me and this other. We started off with like twenty women at the beginning, and everybody else was going home, and there was just me and this other woman at five o'clock. Um, and then they called me in and said that without testing on the biopsy, but without the results coming back, it was a three in five chance that I'd, I'd got it. Uh, and I was, yeah, a complete wreck driving home. Um, and then when we went for the results, I never went to anything again on my own, actually, because you, your brain goes to mush, obviously. You need somebody else there to ask the questions that you can't ask. Um, and you don't remember the answers because you're, you're sort of a bit mushy. Um, and then, yeah, it just sort of changed my life. And I was, I'm really glad that they got me in two weeks. Within two weeks, I was in for the operation because those two weeks, you just think that cancer's spreading. You can almost, I don't know, it's just in your mind, I'm sure, but you can feel it working its way through your body and it's horrible. You just, you want to cut it out. You want rid of it. I remember going into the operation and, yeah, I was like due at nine o'clock and they they put me under and then I woke up at 12 and I just sort of looked down and I was like, it's gone. And I sort of felt a lot better then. And then the test results took another two weeks, which was horrible, horrible waiting time. But when I was actually clear and I didn't need any, any chemo or radiotherapy, that was a big weight off my mind. I then just had to recover from operations and reconstruction and stuff. Um, it just makes you have another perspective on life, really. Instead of thinking you've got the rest of your life, you've always had that little thing in the mind that something around just be, could be around the corner that you never know. So keep a good eye on on your health and everything. Look after yourself and, and also put things in that you want to do and sort of get on and do them what's still on your list then of stuff that you would still like to do there's there's a few challenges in scotland you know at the moment this year was was the sort of barclay and then i've I'm entered into the tour de Giants again which may or may not go ahead in september so we'll see uh, I don't tend to have a like huge long bucket list. Things just come along, and I think, oh yeah, that's that's nice. I have two questions from um, patrons of the podcast. Uh, one from Matt Rushbrook, and Matt says, um, "Do you have any intention or desire to go after the recently broken record by Paul Tierney at the Wainwrights?" No, I think multi-day, although it's continuous, sort of. Uh, my feet really don't get on with multi-day. They prefer just going, going and going. When I do multi-day stuff, I, t- I tend to get infections in them. I, I try and, you know, I keep them clean and all the rest of it, but I've tried it a couple of times. And again, yeah, no, I, I sort of did think about it, but it's not for me, no. A question from um, Jason Major, who says... So I, I've heard you say this as well, that quite often if you go out, you don't take music, you don't listen to podcasts or things like that when you're running or when you're in the car. So then it does give you space to think and let your mind wander. So Jason um, says, where are some of the places that your mind wanders when you're running? 
Yeah. I mean, if I'm running, like today I was running and I was thinking about that series of races that I'd like to just try and set up like this week. And that took up a lot of the time. I mean, if I'm running locally around here, which I am now, I'm sort of looking at the, the countryside and what, what somebody's building and what the cows are looking like and what somebody's fields are looking like. A bit farmerish, you know, a bit, we're not anal, but yeah, somebody's got a new tractor. It's like, oh, we've got a new tractor. <laughs> oh, he's got those sort of cows. Oh, he's got that bull. He's putting that bull with that sort of cow. And out in the hills, it's usually where I'm going, where I'm actually, you know, navigating takes up and what I'm going to eat next if I'm racing yeah. and then a few quick questions to finish um first of all poles do you always use poles mm. now when you're out running and walking wrecking hiking I don't use them a lot in training I mean I probably should practice with them more but I think now I've used them so much in the races that um it does come sort of naturally to me just to pick them back up again and go so yeah i know they're a newish thing in the uk but if you go to abroad everybody uses them and they are unbelievably good when you get used to using them all the time i mean you've just got to get that's why maybe you should practice when you first get them because you've got to figure out how you're going to eat and read the map and do other stuff because uh, you've got these things attached to your hands at the same time. But, uh, yeah, you, you do get used to just swapping them about from hand to hand, putting them away, getting them out again. Yeah, they're good. And then if you run down and run the flats but you walk the ups, is that at any distance that you will do that or is that, just as you go longer as you go longer really that's the sort of rule in the bob graham and that's a good rule and you can get around the bob graham by not running any of the hills uphill so to do the records obviously i had to run some of the uphill sections as well but then you tend to pick out okay that's a gradient i should run and as soon as it gets to say a steeper gradient then then it's a walking gradient and I, I do train my legs to do that in training so that when they get when they're doing it in an event, they just tend to set off running because they they think that gradient's runnable. And yeah, so it, it's the same with poles. If I was doing, say, a 30 mile race, I probably wouldn't take the poles. And if I was doing a 60 mile race, it depends on the terrain of that race as to whether the poles would be useful. Because in the UK, you know, you don't want to be sticking them into bogs and mud and stuff. But in the in France and in the Alps and in Switzerland and stuff, a lot of the paths are rocky, so the poles are actually really, really useful. So, yeah, it, that middle section becomes where the, the distance plus terrain. And then if I'm doing a 100-miler, then it's a no-brainer. I take the poles and I, I walk all the uphills. So, yeah. And if you could do just one race or round or challenge again which would it be yeah that's an interesting one <laughs> because some people have said would i like to go back and do the double ramsey and the paddy again do i think they're doable under 48 hours and i do but i'm not sure i would actually go back and do them again um uh, i think at the moment like say if you said only one race this year, 
now that the Barclays gone, I think it's got to be the Tour de Jouance. I loved it so much last year. Found it hard, but again, because I'm because it's something I think I can do better at, I want to go and do that again. And that's that's often with me. What I want to do is what where I think I can do better at. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be that one. Final thing, Nikki, if you had one piece of advice for anyone who was scared of maybe challenging themselves, what would your piece of advice be? Probably to pick a challenge that they think is just slightly out of their reach because they can I think they'll be able to do it. Uh, maybe not tell loads and loads of people so that there's not a huge you know, but tell a few people because then you're actually you're announcing to those people that you're going to do it, and when they ask you, it's another. I'm I'm very I, I like to put not like to put pressure on myself, but I think putting pressure on does work. That's so yeah, I would do that. Just tell a few people, um, and then just set to and do whatever you can. So it could be a, it's going to be a race, say, so maybe you need to run fast, but there's going to be other aspects of it, like eating beforehand and what kit you're carrying and not carrying such a heavy rucksack. So work on all the aspects of, of the race so that you can get yourself around the race rather than just trying to run fast because that's not actually all of what's needed to get you to the end of that race. Does that help? I hope. Thanks for being a listener on the Inside Tri Shirt, brought to you by Sports Tours International and Orion Connect. Of course, it helps. Good advice there to finish off. And I hope you enjoyed the interview with Nikki. I've put loads of links in the show notes. So if you want to find out more about Nikki, about the rounds, the double rounds, the Barclay marathons, or even how to take part in the virtual races that she's doing that she mentioned at the beginning of the interview, then you will find the links in the show notes at helenmurray.net forward slash inside try show forward slash Nikki Spinks. Now, a little bit of news from me to finish. I don't think that is that exciting, but um, I am still doing the yoga challenge. So I uh, started the Yoga with Adrienne, her 30-day home challenge. I'm doing it Monday to Friday, 6.45 every morning. And we're doing it on Zoom, actually. And I say we, I seem to have, uh, I seem to be the one that sort of gathers the troops. So it's a few friends, but then it's quite a lot of listeners as well. Some people in my tri club and even Luke Grenfell Shaw is now a regular on the mat, which is just ace. So if you want to join in, this is not a taught session. We are just following Yoga with Adrienne on YouTube, but it does help you to get out of bed and it gives you a nice start to the day. So 6.45 a.m. UK time, Monday to Friday, you can join in no problem at all i'll put a link in the show notes or you can just find me on social media at inside try show and i'll get the link to you so yep if you're keen i'll see you on the mat pjs are optional in the morning i've been keeping up my daily greens from 33fuel.com 
to try to keep my system in tip-top shape really so don't forget if you do want a discount at 33fuel.com just use the code inside try 33 at checkout if pick and mix is more your style then our friends over at comfuel will give you a discount as well you have to use the code inside try for 20% off at checkout at comfuel.co.uk and I think that is about it from me this week so all of the information is over in the show notes helenmurray.net forward slash inside try show forward slash nikki spinks you have been listening to the inside try show with sports tours international and orion connect i'm helen murray and if you've been listening for the first time then please do go and leave a review in apple or wherever you're currently listening to this it just helps to spread the word and things like that and do tune in again next week it would be great to have you on board in the meantime Do take lots of care, look after yourself and look after those around you. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.